I want to look at a scripture from Acts chapter 16, where we see Paul and Timothy going out on a mission. And um, this scripture has so many interesting elements that I think can inform us as we try to practice the way of Jesus. And this is written by Luke, you know, Luke Acts are written by the same writer. And so we have this continuity between the ministry of Jesus, the way he proclaimed and empowered his disciples to preach the gospel. And then the way that's passed on to Paul and Timothy here. So let's look at Acts 16, beginning in verse 6. So they've just left uh, Antioch, and before that they were in Jerusalem, where they uh, were given the commission of, of sending decrees to all the churches that that Paul had planted on his first missionary journey. So anyway, now they pass through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wow, so so often in the book of Acts, the, the, the apostles are, are going out, and it seems like they're able to just go out, out to places that they weren't even necessarily sent. Like I think of Philip, who goes to Samaria, Samaria and proclaims the gospel to the people there. And he goes in response to a big crackdown where there's a persecution against Christians, you know, after the stoning of Stephen. And he's able to go about his work, and there, there are many conversions. But here, um, Paul and Timothy are forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I wonder what it feels like to have the Holy Spirit forbid you to do something. You know, sometimes when we think we're not, you know, something's blocking us, we can think that's, you know, that spiritual attack, that's the enemy blocking us. How do we know the difference between um, when the Holy Spirit is forbidding us and when, you know, some other spiritual opposition is happening? Well, um, in the next verse, it says, after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So I think something about um, the Spirit of Jesus as they knew Jesus and Paul had had an encounter with Jesus, you know, on the road to Damascus. And so he knew Jesus and, um, and he knew that Jesus through his teachings in the Gospels as well. And so I guess spiritually they discerned first that it was the Spirit and Holy Spirit and now it's the Spirit of Jesus. And uh, so anyway, in passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, it says. And then in verse 9, we have this uh, this vision. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so now, um, rather than them just being blocked from doing something that they felt led to do, now it's actually um, a vision that's appearing to Paul, uh, not of God or of Jesus or anything, but a man of Macedonia. You know, I don't know how they knew he was from Macedonia, but he was standing and appealing to them in the vision and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And they discerned that that was, um, that was God who was calling them. To preach the good news. And um, so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. So now Paul and Timothy are, are pretty much on their own. They're just discerning, okay, um, Macedonia. So they try to go to the leading city of Macedonia, which was Philippi. And when they get there, they stay in the city for some days. And so, um, you know, maybe they were discerning and, and investigating. It doesn't say. But then um, on verse in verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And um, I find that really interesting. Um, it's the Sabbath, and they're not going to a synagogue, but um, but they're going outside to the, to the riverbank um, where they just are supposing that there's a place of prayer. They're not even sure. And they're, so they're going to a spiritual place. And I wonder where those sorts of places would be now. Where are the places where we would suppose would be places where people would pray? Like I think about the jail and uh, the Mount Vernon where we go, or prisons, or I think of even homeless encampments, you know, places where people are desperate. And for that matter, casinos. There's probably a lot of prayers going up from the many casinos in our region as people are, are, are praying and hoping for you know, for luck to strike, for God to bless them, for them to get the money that they need. Um, where do you think the places of prayer would be in your community? So they go to this place, and, and it says, we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So women are gathered. No mention of a Macedonian man at this point, even though the vision was of a man uh, appealing to Paul to come there, right? Anyway, verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. Now, we don't know whether she was a worshiper of God as a Jewish woman or as a pagan. It's, I think, I would assume this is a pagan worshiper of God. And, you know, the, the God that was worshipped in this um, Roman colony, Philippi, would have been Zeus. And, but she's not... Uh, that's not defined here. It says she was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So Paul's preaching the good news. He's preaching the gospel, and it's God who opens her, her heart. The Lord opens her heart to respond to the things that are spoken. And to me, this is super important just to realize, like, we can proclaim, and we need to. And this is something that we see throughout the Gospels. We see that that's what Jesus was doing, you know, and before him, John the Baptist. So Jesus, the first mention of the Gospel being preached is when Jesus cites Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. This is the same verb that's used here, uangelizo. And, um, and then we see Jesus saying to the people, who want him to stay in their in their community, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And um, and Jesus is going in like in Luke eight one, uh, around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve are with him. So we see that proclaiming in, in the kingdom of God, proclaiming the good news, was something. That, um, that was the highest priority for Jesus. And Paul and Timothy are just right in alignment with that. Luke 9, 6. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel 
in healing everywhere. And, um, and this is something that happens straight into Acts. And so here we are in Acts 16, and Paul is proclaiming the good news. What else can we know about what that good news would have, would have been? Um, you know, one scripture that comes to mind when I think about what is the proclamation of the good news, as Paul would articulate it, would be Ephesians chapter 2. And let's just look at that. Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So Paul's writing um, to people uh, who could recognize in themselves that that they were dead at one point in their crimes and in their sins in which they formerly walked and but he himself is identifying as someone who himself formerly lived in the lusts of his flesh indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and and you know where do we see that today i mean clearly um everywhere don't we and um but being able to recognize that that you know that we're doing that and that we actually need help, we need salvation, we need deliverance, healing. You know, that's another matter. And so Paul goes on, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Now this seems like such a clear articulation of what the good news is. You know, this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Um, you know, he saves us, um, not because of our works, but by grace um, and, you know, through faith. And I think this message is really at the heart of what the gospel is and what it means to proclaim the good news. But if we look at Luke's version of this type of you know, good news. One of the things that comes to mind directly for me is just uh, Jesus's parable, you know, when he is being critiqued in Luke chapter 15. Um, it's, you know, it says that all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells them the parable, saying, what man among you, if he had a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And in many ways, Paul is embodying this very message here because he's just left Jerusalem. He's left um, the people of God. He's left the ninety-nine. And he's now on his way on this, on this mission. And he had it in his mind where he needed to go. 
you know, to Bithynia and to these other places, but but this, the the Holy Spirit forbid him, and and the um, Spirit of Jesus also forbid him to go to the places he was planning to go to. And rather, you have this man, a Macedonian man, who is standing, appealing to Paul, you know, come over here and help us. And it's just one individual. And so here's Paul and Timothy embodying this very um, parable, like uh, Jesus was embodying it in eating with the tax collectors and sinners. So it says, um, and here's the good news. So um, what man among you, if he had a hundred sheep and had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? So there's persistence, isn't there? Like this is the message of the gospel that, that the shepherd, the good shepherd, goes after the lost one until he finds it. And what does he do when he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who, who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. Okay, so here we are back in um, Philippi. Paul has just proclaimed the good news to these women um, outside the gate by the river in this place of prayer. There's a seller of purple fabrics, um, this uh, woman named Lydia, likely a fairly wealthy businesswoman, um, a pagan, but someone who's described as God worshiping. And she's listening, and it's the Lord who opens her heart, and she responds. And when she and her household have been baptized, so right away, um, like responding to the things the gospel leads Paul to baptize her and her whole household, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul has gone looking for this Macedonian man, but in the meantime, he's found you know, this woman who's, who's responded and her whole household's been baptized. So he goes back out to the same place. Um, no mention of the Holy Spirit guiding him. It's just him supposing that this is a, a good place to proclaim the good news. And, um, and it's worked once, so he goes back. So it happened, verse 16, that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master much profit, by fortune telling. So the spirit of divination here is, is actually in the Greek, it's called the spirit of Python. And that spirit was, a, was like a, a snake spirit that was thought to guard the Oracle of Delphi, which was one of the, you know, the main sources of sort of a occultic prophetic um, revelation. And so this uh, young slave girl was had this spirit and was able to, uh, you know, tell people's fortunes. And so she was basically someone that probably people from Philippi would, you know, would go and pay her masters uh, some money to get a prophetic, you know, like word, a reading about their business, about, you know, where, where to invest their money, about, um, you know, the, their life direction, you know, all sorts of things. So people have spent money getting um, direction, directives, and people were probably basing their lives off of this um, 
you know, off of this occult um, revelation. And but anyway, this girl is um, says following after Paul and us. She kept crying out and saying, "These men are slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming you to you the way of salvation." So here they, she would have been understanding the Most High God to be Zeus. So she's saying, basically, these men are, are slaves of Zeus, and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And, um, and so Paul seems to be letting this go on for a while. It says, verse 18, she continued doing this for many days. But Paul uh, was greatly annoyed, or that word can mean grieved as well, and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of at one at that very moment. Now, it's really interesting because it's it's this, um, you know, Paul who's hesitating to really rebuke this Python spirit and who's tolerating it for quite a while, which actually keeps Paul from actually getting to his um, Macedonian man who we're going to be introduced to soon. And, um, and so what happens is in verse 19, when the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. So this girl's a trafficked girl. She's being used by these two men for their profit. And um, and I would imagine that this would have been upsetting to all the people that had paid money to get, you know, to get a prophetic reading from this girl. Anyway, these masters, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they have brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Of course, there's no mention of their true motivation, which was that their hope of profit was gone because um, the python spirit had been cast out of their slave girl, right? So they're just using um, all this, uh, these other reasons that they're proclaiming customs that are not lawful and uh, them being Romans and everything lawful to those uh, that are Romans. And so the crowd at this point rises up. And um, once again, I think that probably they were able to get the crowd behind them. Um, it could have been patriotism here too, because um, in a way that's what they're appealing to. This, they're, they're proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. And so, but some of the crowd also could have been disturbed because, uh, you know, because they're, you know, everything that they've been basing their lives off of this uh, Oracle of Delphi revelation through this girl is, uh, is now up for question. You know, really, is it, um, should they be following after this advice now that this girl has been delivered of a demon and has been showed to be weaker than the name of Jesus? So the crowd rises up against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Um, and when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, there's their first, um, you know, like lone man who is a Macedonian man, isn't it? The jailer. Okay, so... The jailer has been commanded to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So I, I really wonder whether this is the Macedonian man who, um, who was standing and appealing to, um, to them in the vision. 
and um, and now he's got them, um, but maybe not in the way that they would have thought, um, because maybe they're not even yet aware of what's happening. They're just going with the flow, aren't they? And yet, in a way, they're not going with, um, you know, they at this point, they could have actually appealed to the authorities and said, look, we're Roman citizens, because they do that afterwards. And they could have stopped this whole um, process of being beaten and being incarcerated. But so they're going um, and allowing themselves to be, you know, to be arrested in a way that I find to be super interesting and, um, you know, and, and, and perplexing. And just, it makes me really think, okay, um, how important, how important it is to really be paying close attention to what is the will of God. Um, so it says in verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And, um, it's, uh, that whole posture that of, of prayer and, and singing hymns is, is remarkable in and of itself, considering they've just been, you know, uh, beaten up and thrown in the inner prison and put in stocks. And I love this. Um, it states that the prisoners were listening to them. So there's no overt preaching to the prisoners, um, no uh, jail ministry of that type or prison ministry of that type, but Paul and Silas are, are praying and singing, and that unleashes this, um, you know, the move of God. Verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. So wow, this um, act of of worship of Paul and Silas, um, you know, praying and singing, leads to this um, this really this divine prison break, you know, that's uh, initiated by an earthquake, but it's more than just an earthquake. Um, I mean, the earthquake pops open all the doors, everyone's doors, and on top of that, everyone's chains were unfastened. So this is more than just an earthquake. There's there's really up. This is like a miracle. This is a miracle that is taking place that's, you know, where Paul and Silas, their proclamation is being um, confirmed by signs and wonders. Now, verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And this would have been a normal practice. Um, losing all the prisoners would have meant he would have been likely executed by his superiors, and there's a lot of shame involved in in the fact that he has lost all the prisoners, according to his assumption, right? But right at this point, Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And um, this, this is an amazing thing right here, that Paul, you know, would, you know, would really... Um, cry out like that and say that we're all here. And if I were one of those prisoners, I'd be wondering, well, wait a minute. I thought this was our break. But Paul, um, you know, cries out to, uh, to him to not harm himself. And he called and the, and the jailer called for the lights and rushed in trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So here we have um, this this beautiful act of repentance of this jailer, you know, who is completely humbled by 
the move of God that backs Paul and Silas. And you see, you know, that he recognizes that he, he's been saved, you know, by their appeal to him to not take his life and, and Paul's affirmation that all of them are there and no one has escaped. And he rushes down. And the first thing he's described as doing as is falling down before them. And then asking him, what do I have to do to be saved? He's, he's ready to surrender himself to, to their God. And, um, and, and seems a lot more concerned about his standing before their God than he does before his Roman superiors. Although I suppose he wouldn't have so much to worry about with them because all of his prisoners are there. They said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now it's interesting because in the first story, when Paul and uh, Silas, when they you know, when they share with the women who are gathered by the river, it says the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the message. And in this case, we don't have that language, um, you know, of the Lord opening the heart of the jailer, but, but we just see that he is responding to, you know, to Paul's um, appeal to him and to, you know, and to what's happened, the, the reality that God's uh, power through the earthquake and you know has popped open all the doors and 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 unloosed all of these all of these chains from everybody's hands and feet and and I love this um, Paul says believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved you and your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And it says, he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So here we have um, him rejoicing greatly in alignment with their, um, you know, with their whole attitude of prayer and, and singing hymns of praise. And, um, and, and so two households are saved, but, but that's how, how Paul actually, uh, comes to, you know, to meet this Macedonian man. And, um, and that's the end of, of really his mission in Macedonia, except for the fact that, um, afterwards the magistrates and, um, the next day the chief magistrate sent their policemen saying, release the, those men. And, um, and the jailer reported um, those words to Paul. And then that's when Paul says, um, hey, you know, you guys have beaten us in public without a trial, men who are Romans. And, uh, you know, so he appeals to his Roman citizenship after he's already been, you know, kind of released. And, um, and then he's saying, no, you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to leave. You got to come directly yourselves and bring us out. And so, uh, you know, that completely freaks out the chief magistrates and uh, when they find out that they're Romans and so they appeal to them and uh, and then they bring them out and they beg them to leave the city but at that point um, when they went out of the prison they went to Lydia's house and um, and that's sort of the origins of the first church there in Philippi is a house church um, there in Lydia's house but but also this jailer and his whole household who become believers 
So what do we learn from this text? Well, I mean, there's so many, so many things to learn. And, you know, I, I personally just feel so inspired by both the, you know, how when Paul is, is moving in the directions that he feels he needs to go. Um, it's God who blocks him twice. Okay. And, and then, um, then there's a revelation. It's, it's a, it's a dream that is of a, of a man who's appealing to him to come. And, um, and it's a man of Macedonia. And this is a place in Europe. So the gospel really hadn't been proclaimed in Europe. This is the first uh, sort of European site where, um, you know, where any kind of missionary activity is happening. So anyway, Paul and Silas end up, end up going there and, you know, and they have no direction from God, um, overt direction. God's not stopping them from doing anything. And God's not through the spirit telling them to do anything, but, the only mention of the Lord doing anything is, well, there's two mentions. One, the Lord opens Lydia's heart to, um, you know, to respond to the message. And then, um, then we see that there's a, there's an earthquake and the chains are popped off all of the inmates and all the doors are opened. And really those are the only two actions of God in the story. And the rest are, are just Paul, um, you know, proclaiming and people responding and, um, you know, in in the in the second case, you know, Paul's primary proclamation is, you know, don't harm yourself. We're all here, and um, you know, and then he's responding to the jailer's request. You know, what do I have to do to be saved? And um, and he says, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus. And and then it's um, and and he doesn't even tell them they have to be baptized. It's that's just something that that happens and. I, I want to, I want to really be able to move in alignment with this kind of freedom and, and also, um, openness to whatever God would have me, whatever God would have me go, whatever, wherever the spirit would send me, which, uh, you know, may in the beginning, not even seem to be in alignment with maybe the vision. If, if, if there is a vision, because the first people Paul speaks to are this group of gathered women. And then the second person he deals with is, is a slave girl. And it's really um, the only way he ends up before this, uh, this Macedonian man is, is, in, is, a, is as a direct result of casting out a demon of divination, this python spirit from the slave girl. And so, you know, he ends up meeting his sort of target audience, so to speak, um, as, um, as a result of, you know, of, of, of doing, um, you know, doing ministry to people he that he wasn't overtly um, sent to to address, right? Um, a woman and then a girl, and uh, but that leads to way to this man and and I um, anyway I'm, I'm inspired by that and and I want to um, also, you know, uh, remember that it's 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 God who opens people's hearts. And it's God who um, who backs us up. Um, I mean, none of this uh, conversion of this Macedonian jailer would have happened if if God hadn't responded to Paul and Silas in their prayer and their and their worshiping there in with the stocks on in the inner prison and uh, and and broken them free. And um, and so we need we need the Holy Spirit to move. You know, we need. Um, 
the miraculous element of of the living God, you know, backing backing us up, you know, either uh, in the first place stopping us and 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 putting us in a holding pattern where then we can hear directly about what we're supposed to do, but then um, opening people up and and um, you know and and putting us into into places where you know where we really truly need God to intervene, like uh, in this in the, being stuck in the stocks, and and then when that happens, that's when really the the gospel is able to be communicated and and people come to faith and are baptized. And so anyway, I'd like to just close with a prayer. So Jesus, thank you for uh, Paul and Silas and this amazing story. And thank you that it's recorded for us for our benefit and help us to be as open as they were to being um, stopped and redirected and um, help us to be persistent in our engagement as your emissaries and to be willing to go to the kinds of extremes that Paul does of, of just stepping out in faith. And thank you that you are there to open the hearts. You know, you're, you're there to bring understanding. You're there to, to back us up as we launch out and seek to do your will. And we just pray that you'd inspire us in this, um, in this following week and months to be able to follow you and open us to be able to <clears throat> perceive when you're communicating to us uh, directions. We just pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>